Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Good, good, good. Wasn't it great to hear from Chris and Liz? Absolutely fantastic. Let me encourage you to make sure you talk to them or uh, interact with them uh, during their uh, uh, in between our services or after the second service. Uh, encourage them, pray for them. Let's let's be a church that keeps our our missionaries' family first and foremost in our thoughts and everything that they're going through, especially as they travel with children back to their country of service. Well, I don't know if you're a movie buff, but I like movies. Anybody in here like movies? Like to watch a little thing on TV? I, uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were watching uh, Jesus Revolution. Anybody see that one, Jesus Revolution? I'll tell you what, I loved that movie. I loved that. And I can be, I'm one of those guys with like when Christian movies like that come out, I can be a little critical about the, the quality of acting or whatever, things like that. But this was a really, really, really good movie. And um, it was the story, if you haven't seen it, it's the story of the Jesus movement in the 1960s. Uh, in Southern California, and it highlights the ministry of, of Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee and the start of how Greg Laurie was called to ministry back at that time. And I was struck as I watched that movie, I was struck by the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts and in the lives of the people that began to meet in the church, of the people who who were attending the church first and foremost, and then as the, as the hippie generation moved through, right? Because that's, that's who it was. Anybody part of that, the hippie generation? Anybody? Anybody want to admit that? There you go. See, all the, see, in worship, all the hands are up praising God, right? When I ask if you were a hippie, it's like, well, I kind of was, you know. Uh, actually, we have uh, uh, friends that were part of one of our churches over the past 10 years um, was actually part of that movement and in Chuck Smith's church when they lived in Southern California. And he would talk to me a lot about Chuck Smith and his ministry. And so the movie detailed that. It was that late 60s uh, hippie movement that came through. And uh, the, here's the thing that happened. Like, if you don't know, here's the thing that happened. Like, all the hippies, they came to church, and sat in the pews and started to worship. And the other people who were there, like some of them were like, um, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to, right? I mean, that was some of the, the attitude and that was some of the culture and yet was portrayed in the movie very, very well. But what was powerful, what was powerful was when you saw um, not just not just God moving in the lives of young adults of that generation and people who were marginalized by society and culture. What was powerful was not just the Holy Spirit moving in their lives, but the Holy Spirit moving in the lives of the people of the church who had gotten comfortable where they sat, who had gotten comfortable with who was around them, and who had gotten comfortable with how they did things. And the Holy Spirit did something to change the atmosphere. And, this, and the movie did well to portray how some embraced it and some did not. And some actually got up and, and left because it caused tension, right? It caused tension in the church. People who didn't look like them or talk like them or dress like them or behave like them uh, began to worship with them. And it caused tension. 
They portrayed, uh, they, they showed, uh, um, I, they, they reenacted in the movie. And I think at the end, there may have been some real uh, live, or not live, uh, historical clips of the actual baptisms that took pay, place in Pirate's Cove. And it reminded me of the baptisms that we've done down at Lake Erie. You remember those? Anybody baptized in Lake Erie? Those were great times. And I love how, how they, they, the movie just kind of played that tension with the audience. Played that tension and highlighted that. That could the church, could the church be a place where all people belonged? Could the church be a place where anyone and everyone could come and belong? Was it perfect? No. Was it challenging? Yes. But it was a place where everyone belonged. You know, over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea of legacy. And last week, we, we kind of pivoted away from the individual legacy that we leave as, as Christ followers in our world. And we're looking at the idea of legacy that we leave as a church. What will be said of our church in the years to come? What will be said of our, our ministry in this community in the years to come? What will be said of, of, of this body of people reaching these people in this neighborhood, in this community, in this county in the years to come? We've been handed, we've been handed by those who have gone before us, we've been handed a legacy to steward, right? This, the First Alliance has a, has a good history and a good reputation reaching people around the world, as we saw this morning with Chris and Liz, sending people out into global missions, sending people out into pastoral ministry, sending people out into church mission, sending people out into education, sending people out uh, around the United States. We have a long history of sending. We have a long history of worshiping. We have a long history of reaching people. We have a long history. We've been given something to steward. And the question is, will we steward it well? And will we grow, uh, grow that which we've been handed? And can this place, can this church, can First Alliance continue to be a place where people belong? Last week, I mentioned that I'm asking the question with a nod to our history and a look forward. Could we, could we be a place where people could find a place to begin, which is what we looked at last week, and could, could this be a place where people would feel like they belong in life, in community, in church, in religion, in faith? And I'm reminded that belonging means that we need to be mindful of the importance of belonging. Because sometimes we can forget that. Sometimes we can forget how important it is to belong somewhere, to be a part of something, to be a part of something that, that maybe is just a little bit bigger than we are because it's inspiring. Sometimes we forget what it's like to belong somewhere because we feel so welcome, because we feel so settled, because we feel so at home. We forget what it feels like to belong here because we belong here, right? We forget what it feels like to need to belong. 
And so we need to be mindful of the importance of belonging. But we also need to be mindful of how easy it is, how easy it is, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, to crowd out people. You ever been there? You ever felt crowded out? You ever felt like you didn't belong somewhere? Have you ever felt like you were not part of the thing that was going on? Like you didn't get the inside joke? Maybe because the inside joke was about you. Do you ever feel like you lived on the margin? Do you ever feel like you lived on the outside? Do you ever feel like that you just don't belong where you're at? Like somebody invited you and you're there and you're, you're in a space, but you know, you know you don't belong there. It's not your, and we, we use different words, right? It's not my crowd. It's not my scene. It's not my vibe, right? We use different words, but what we feel is that, that, very, that very thing uh, within us, that, that, that anxiety that manifests inside of us. And it's just, it's just, we don't, I don't belong here. I'm not like them. Again, I don't dress like them. I don't talk like them. I don't think like them. I don't believe like them. And in Luke chapter 8, we see Luke picking up this narrative in Jesus' story of a woman who felt marginalized in her life trying to come to Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, we have this story of a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Everything about her, everything about this woman put her on the outside of community. Everything about her put her on the outskirts of society. Everything about her marginalized her. She was an outsider. She was was one of those people. You know who I'm talking about? Those people? You know? They don't talk like us. They don't don't behave like us. Those people. They don't vote like us. They watch that news channel. I'm staying right in the middle on that one, just staying right. (laughs) They don't talk like us. Those people. We look at them and we say, why do they have to do that, right? We look at them and we go, why do they have to live like that? Why do they have to do that? Why do they have to talk that way? Why do they have to do those things? Why don't they just, right? Why why can't they simply, mm, why don't they? We've all said it. We've all thought it. Let's be honest, it's in all of us. We're resistant to different, aren't we? We're resistant to different. Different spaces, different paint colors, right? Do you ever go, you ever have a conversation with your spouse about painting the house? How's that go? Here's how it goes in my house I'm all for it. Hire someone. I have four kids, so we hired them. Paint the house. Thank the Lord. That's right. 
different room layouts. Let's put the couch here. Did you ever do that? Men, men, did you ever do that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise my wife this weekend. Mistake number one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the chair, and then we're going to put the couch, right? How'd that go? Fifteen minutes later, it's back. We don't like different. We don't like change. We don't like different music, right? We don't like different music. Why do they always play? We don't like different foods. We don't like different activities. We sometimes just don't like different people. I experienced that this week. I, I, was, I was out somewhere and I saw somebody that was very, 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 very different than me. Very different. And my immediate natural response was, how you doing? Good to see you. Natural response. Not because I was afraid uh, physically, not because I was afraid of anything else, just, just the natural emotive response in that situation. And I caught myself in that. People that just look different than us, act different than us, behave different than us, live differently than us. This woman in Luke chapter 8 was one of those people. First of all, she was an outcast because she was a woman. Now, in that culture and in that day and time, being a woman put you in a different class, and it was a lower class. It's just the way it was. Something to remember contextually when you read the scriptures of the New Testament, that at that point, New Testament and the Old Testament, women in the culture that, that, were, that the scriptures were written in, at that time, at that season, at that moment, were part of a lower class. She was marginalized already just because she was a woman. She was marginalized because she was sick. There was something wrong with her. And her sickness, her sickness, her sickness was, was something that, that, made her, that made her unclean. Now, she had, she had tried to find healing from this. She had tried to find different experts that would take care of this. In fact, if you, if you read this, this account in Mark's gospel, Mark will tell you that she spent all of her money trying to be healed from this. So here's the third thing. She's a woman, she's sick, and now she's poor. Marginalized. Put on the outside of society. Pushed away. And again... The, 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 the type of, of uh, sickness that she had made her unclean in her community, made her unclean in her religious circle. So, so her illness not made, didn't just make her unwell, it made her unwelcomed. You cannot be around people. And the people you cannot be around are the church people. You are unwell and you are unclean and you are poor and you are a woman pushed away. What was she supposed to do? What are people, what are those people supposed to do? Where are they supposed to go? 
We sit here and we pray for them and we pray for missionaries to go and we pray for outreach events and those people are in our communities. They are our neighbors. They go to our schools. They are all around us. They are those people. And we're saying, God, would somebody reach those people? And God's looking at us and like, yeah, would somebody reach those people? What's she supposed to do? She got wind that Jesus was coming to down. She figures this is my chance. This is my chance. She hears it. She hears the stories. She hears the miracles. She hears it. This is her chance. I've got to do something. Notice how, notice how Luke, go back, go back in, the, in the scriptures and notice where this story takes place. Luke chapter 8, it picks up in verse 42. Luke chapter 8, verse 42. But if you go back to 8, 8, one, there's a parable of the sower, a parable of a lampstand, a mother, and the healing of a, of a demon-possessed man, the calming of a storm. Luke puts this, this story right in the middle of Jesus doing other miracles. And not just other miracles, but miracles for the marginalized. It's miracles for the people who are outcasts. It's a major theme in Luke that Jesus has come for the weak and the lowly and the poor. This is, that's why this story is where it's at. So that we would understand that the miracles of Jesus are about the weak and the lowly and the poor and the outcast. This is who the miracles are for. And so she thought maybe, just maybe, just maybe if Jesus was going to bring miracles of, uh, and, and healing for all these other people, right? Can you hear it in her head? If he's going to do it for all of them, maybe, maybe he'll do it for me. What did she have to lose, right? She already didn't have any money. She was already outcast. What did she have to lose, If she could just get to Jesus, maybe she could find what everybody else was finding at the same time. But there was a crowd. Verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds, look look at how Luke characterizes this. As Jesus was, was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Peter said in verse 45, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. You ever been in a crowd like that? Just people all over you, just all around you? 60,000 people trying to leave the Taylor Swift concert? Did you ever feel that? I can tell you that story some other time. Just, 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 there's nowhere to turn, let alone, how do I get to that, how do I get to that guy? Right? I remember when I was a kid, when I was a kid, my dad uh, was the head tailor at Kaufman's at the Mill Creek Mall, which is now Macy's. And um, he caught, he caught wind that, that I think it was Gary Miller at the time. Gary Miller was bringing in Willie Stargell. Remember that name? Pirate fans. That's when they were good. 
those three years that they were good. Willie Stargell was coming in, and he was going to sign autographs at Gary Miller. And so my dad, we were, we're pirate fans, and we're like, hey, we're going to. So I, I think I was like seven or eight or something like that. And all, all I can remember about this is standing in line in the parking lot of Gary Miller trying to get to the door to get in to get an autograph. And you know what? We never made it because of the crowd. You ever been there? Trying to get somewhere? Trying to be somewhere? But because of the crowd, you just couldn't do it? Notice how difficult the crowd was making making it for her to get access to Jesus. This was her last-ditch effort. This was her last shot. Imagine her anxiety, right? Hey, I only wanted an autograph, and I was, I was kind of peeking, right? She's got this health issue for the last... She's got nothing left in her life. Imagine her anxiety. Imagine the stress. Imagine the pressure that she was under. Imagine the desperation of being so close. But then crowd. You know, Luke's the only gospel that mentions the crowd more than once in this story. The crowd, it's another theme in Luke's gospel that we should pay attention to. Indirectly and directly, the crowd's doing something. Here they're creating a barrier for the person who needed Jesus the most to get to Jesus at all. They're so, they're so focused on, on their own want and their own need that, that, that they almost crushed Jesus. Did you see that? They almost crushed Jesus. The one who's performing the miracles, the one who everybody's there to see, right? They almost crush him because of the crowd. They're so focused on what they need and what they want. This is my opportunity, right? They almost crush the message and the messenger, And there was no concern for anybody else. Can I tell you, when we left that concert, I told my one daughter, you put your finger in my belt loop and you don't let go. I'll get us through. Right? No concern for anyone else. I'm going. Can I offer a parenthetical thought here? I'm going to. I'm just being nice. Now, 100%, this is not, this is not thus saith the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to do this. This is not scripture. This is just a thought. Does the current North American church culture so engulf the message of Jesus that we sometimes crush Jesus to get there? Let me say that again. Does the current North American church culture engulf the message of Jesus in such a way that sometimes we crush Jesus along the way? Is, is Christian consumerism and celebrity culture so hyped and so effervescent for the things of Jesus that we trample the real Jesus? 
I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's a heart issue. I think it's a gut check issue. It's a motive issue for, for each person. Each of us have to answer that for our own selves. But corporately, corporately as a church, it's a mission issue, right? It's mission. We have to ask those questions. Are we crushing Jesus by our own pursuit of him? Are we missing him? Are we so enamored with the celebrity of Jesus that we don't hear the mission of Jesus? Come to our event. Come to our thing. Check out our 856 different options to be connected to Jesus. Check out all 753 things that we're going to do tomorrow night at 7 o'clock so that you can be part of our church. Now, I want you to go to the Seawolves game if you're available. Tickets are available in the back. You can sign up for that. But it's a heart issue, isn't it? It's a motive issue. Do we do too much celebrating the message that we miss the messenger? I mean, when... Come see the miracles. Come see the show. What was going on? Why were people crowding around him? Because of the miracles, because of everything that, w- that was going on. Hey, and by, by the way, while you're here, buy our t-shirt. Right? Get our coffee mug while you're here. Get our t-shirt of the coffee mug on the shirt. That's a double special. When worship becomes a three-ring circus, when the message becomes simply a sign that we wave, that's our message, What's your message? Oh, it's a sign that we wave. When preachers become showmen, when the Savior becomes a trinket, when the teaching becomes a platform. I don't know. I I think we have to check our motives. Maybe we are. Maybe we are crowding Jesus out instead of inviting Jesus in. In the crowding of Jesus, we lose perspective. But in the crowding of Jesus, we also keep people away. The crowd isn't just showing signs of being out for their own. I think that's true, but it's not just that. They're they're making it hard for others to access Jesus. We do it verbally and non-verbally. We do. Welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here today. Are we done yet? What time is it? Are we done yet? We do it verbally. see Bobby's here today? You know, he's an alcoholic. Those are the Smiths. Good thing they showed up. Their marriage is kind of, uh-uh. Oh, Tim's here today. Good, 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 good. He really needs to serve more because he's so into sports, you know what I mean, with his family. And Wilma, remember Wilma? Yeah, she used to work with the kids, but now, 
push them away, push them away, push them away. Marginalize them even more. But we're here. We're here. I'm, I'm here for Jesus. Just be quiet. Quit talking. Because I'm here for Jesus. Right? Have we ever felt that? There's a, the crowd has this self-centeredness and they create this roadblock for this woman who is, who is already an outcast, already marginalized, already desperate. But look at her faith. Look at what she did. Look at her faith. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, look at her faith. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. 47, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had touched and how she had been instantly healed. She told why she had touched him. It was her story. And then she told how she had been instantly healed. It was her testimony. She shared her story and her testimony of what Jesus did, and she shared it in front of the crowd. She had faith. She had faith uh, to, to, to take all that she knew of Jesus in that moment. How much, how much of Jesus did she know? I don't know. She didn't have a theology degree probably, right? She didn't go to Liberty University right? She just, she's just a lady who heard stories and thought maybe, maybe, maybe that guy. And so with as much Jesus as she knows, I don't know, a, a half pint, a pint, I don't know, however much it was, she said, I'm jumping in. I'm going to take all that I know right now in this moment, and I'm just going to take that, all of it, and I'm going to leverage it. I'm going to take a risk. And what was the risk? She was unclean by her culture. She was unclean by her community. She was unclean by the religious people around her. What was the risk? The risk was touching another person and making them unclean. What do we already know about the crowd? The crowd was so thick and so dense, it was already crushing Jesus. And she said, I've got to figure out. Now, do you think they parted the Red Sea for her? No, she probably had to fight her way through it, making and risking, making everybody else around her unclean just to get to Jesus. I've got no other shot. I've got no other option. She had faith. She took a risk to just touch the hem of his garment. And then Jesus. Verse 45. Can you imagine the scene? Chaos. Chaos around him. From her perspective, she's fighting through. She touches the edge of his garment. From his perspective, it's chaos all around him, right? And in a moment and in an instant, he goes, hey, who touched me? Hey, 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 hey. Someone touched me. The crowd was pressing in and Peter said, they're all crushing you. He said, no. What was the difference? What was the difference? What did he know? Power had left him, right? Look at what it says. Who touched me? 
Verse 46, and this is where Peter, Peter's like, yo, I don't know, man. Like, there's a lot of people around here. Everybody's pressing in, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me, right? He didn't say good vibes. You know, I was walking around with the crowd today, and I just felt good vibes, didn't say good vibes. He didn't say, he didn't say, I just expressed some happy thoughts. It's not what he said. He didn't say I had, you know what? I had a really positive feeling about this group today. That's not what he said. He didn't say good vibes, happy thoughts, positive feelings. What did he say? All play. Everybody's, this is an Evans Skateland all skate. What did he say? Power went out. Power went out. Anybody know the, the Greek word there? Anybody without looking at the study notes in your Bible? Anybody? Anybody? Dunamis. You know where, you know where dunamis also shows up? Dynamite. What kind of power? You got an obstacle in your way and you got to move it? You're building highways through the central part of America back in the whenever they built the highways, right? You got to move some, got to move some land. You got to move some mountains. You got to move some rivers so that you can get your way through. What are you going to use? A little bit of dynamite. We're going to clear up the obstacles that are in our way so that we can get to where we're going to go. We're going to, we're going to blow this thing up. We're going to change the course. We're going to change direction where it's going to be explosive. Here's my question. I just asked it, I was studying this week, and I just asked this question. Have we forgotten the powerful Jesus? Have we, as the North American church, forgotten about the powerful Jesus? We like the lovable Jesus, right? We like, we like the likable Jesus, right? We like the, the warm, fuzzy Jesus, Right? We like, the, we like the, I'm going to go curl up in my chair with my hot coffee and my little throw fleece and I'm going to snuggle in and I'm going to open my Bible and I like the little Jesus that makes me feel good. And as important as those are, I want to ask us this, has the North American church lost the powerful Jesus? Have we lost tapping into the dunamis power of Jesus? What did he say when the woman who had no other option reached out and touched him? Power has gone out from me. Life changing, explosive, change the course of your direction, change everything in front of you. Power has gone out from me. This woman had nothing else to lose. I'm going to touch him and see what happens. And power that changed her life, that changed the course of her direction, went out from him and touched her. And what did it say? Ten days later, she was healed, right? Immediately, life changed. Life changed. That was her story. And that was her song. And in the throng of people, she stood up and praised him. 
a little nervous, a little shaky. I'd be too. That's all right. Let's not get down on her because she was trembling a little bit, right? She told her story. She shared her song of what Jesus had done, and it was power. I hope that we don't pray for Chris and Liz and their new venture hoping doors would open in the new territory. But I hope that we will pray in the name of Jesus asking for his power to go before them and change the course and change the things that sit in front of them so that they can experience what God has for them. Does that make sense? I don't hope that whatever you're wrestling with turns out okay. Trust me, I will never ever be the pastor who sends you good vibes. Never. I'm not gonna give you warm fuzzy thoughts. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to pray Jesus' power. As much as you know, in the moment you're in, for the need that you have, we're going to pray for Jesus' power to be released in your life. And we'll let Jesus figure out what the answer to that is. Fair? The Jesus of the Bible that we proclaim and that we profess and that we worship and that we pray to is the Jesus who calls people to belong to him. Verse 47, and we'll close. Excuse me, verse 48. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I think because of the context of the passage. We often focus on the phrase, your faith has healed you. Where else should our eye be drawn to? Daughter. Daughter. Verse 43, remember how the whole thing started? As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there. In verse 43, she was a woman who was an outcast. She had the courage, with all that she knew of Jesus, to just reach out and touch him in faith. And when that happened, he turned around and he called her what? She went from an outsider to family because of the power of Jesus in her life. Now, I don't know where your sons and daughters eat dinner when they're home, but when, whenever we gather around the table, the sons and daughters are welcome at the table. called her daughter. He brought her into the family. He didn't just heal her body. He healed her life. He gave her a place when she had no place. Daughter. Remember 
It says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And then what does it say at the very end? Go in peace. That peace, that word means prosperity, success, and a state of health. Prosperity, success, and a state of health for who just three minutes earlier, she was poverty-stricken, she was sick to the point of being an outcast and had no family and no future. What happens when those people find Jesus? Their family, they have a future, and they have everything they need from God in Jesus Christ. What does that mean for us? Well, sometimes we find ourselves as the woman, right? We find ourselves as the outcast and saying, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. If that's you today, here's what I'm going to ask. With as much as you know about Jesus, as much as it is, take a risk and reach out and just ask him for power in your life. To change what you need changed, to redirect what you need direction on, to clear out what you need cleared out, just ask Jesus today with as much as you know about him right where you are today in this moment. She didn't have an, she either, I don't know this for fact yet. I'm not like, I'm, I was studying this one. Like she either didn't have the courage, the means, or the ability to reach out and embrace Jesus, right? She couldn't embrace him. She could only touch the hem of his cloak. Hey, and Jesus said, good enough because of your faith. So sometimes we find ourselves as the woman as an outcast, struggling with a problem. And sometimes, sometimes, we have to wrestle with, are we the crowd? Where in my life do I play the part of the crowd? Where in my life do I have to have that heart check? Mm -hmm. Can't push people away. Can't put people at a distance. Can't put parameters around people that Jesus didn't put on them right? We need to be a welcoming community. I need to be a welcoming person. And as I'm a welcoming person, we become a welcoming community together, correct? So this week, let's pray for Jesus' power in our lives. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what God's stirring up within you, but let's pray for Jesus' power in your life, right? Not happy thoughts, not good vibes, not the warm and fuzzies, not, I mean, I'm all good if you want to like take a notebook and cup of coffee and sit down somewhere. I'm not like, I'm not right jamming on that. My point is too often we get comfortable and we miss Jesus and we forget that Jesus has power. We want to feel good. We want to feel safe, all very good things, but let's not miss that there is power in Jesus to change direction, to up, uproot things that are rooted, to break chains that we have. There's power to do that. Jesus used that word. God inspired Luke to write those words for a reason. So let's pray Jesus' power in our lives. Let's pray that as we invite people to Jesus, that we would make room for them right? We got a church picnic coming up. If you've got friends coming, let's make room for them. So we go to the Seawolves game, let's make room for them. Let's introduce them to other people that we know. Let's make room for them. And let's be welcoming. How am I welcoming the people around me? 
I don't think we're bad at this as a church. I just know human nature, right? I just know our human nature. That if we don't ever like look ourselves in the mirror every now and then and ask the hard question, nobody will. What happens when our church becomes a place where people know in their heart they can begin here and they can belong here? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your message this morning and the hope that we find in this story. Guide us in this truth. Teach us what you want us to know for our lives. And God, I pray that we as a church collectively, as best as we can on any given day, be a place where people can feel they belong. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.